today is our fourth talk in our series on testifying to Yeshua's cause. What does it look like to be a witness for Yeshua in our world? What are the tools that we have at our disposal towards that end? So last week we, talked, we started talking about the how. We talked about three, shall we say, tools that we have to be uh, witnesses to Yeshua's cause in our world. Can you remember them? Maybe you can remember the pictures that we drew as little memory hooks. Yes, the Holy Spirit was the first one. Yeshua said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Starting in your own neighborhood, ending up at the ends of the earth. I'm paraphrasing you. Yeah, that's right. Our own stories about what Yeshua has done for us. All of us have a story about some area where we had sin or addiction or brokenness, sometimes inner, sometimes physical. Sometimes we, Some of us have stories about how we were the villain. Some of us have stories how we were the damsel in distress and how Yeshua came and rescued us, how He healed us, how He changed us. And uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean we have to sit there for 20 minutes and tell our life stories. To be able to just say in, 20, in, in like 45 seconds, you know, this is how I was, and this is how I encountered Yeshua, and this is what He did for me. It's a very, very powerful tool for uh, giving Him props. Remember we talked about how the, the Greek word for witnessing to Yeshua means to give Him props, to contribute to His good reputation, to um, make Him famous, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then what was the third one? Yes, that's right. Fulfilled prophecy. And uh, that, that one f- floors people. When you look at the ancient prophets of Israel and how they predicted very clearly how the Messiah was going to die, where the chosen was, one was to be born, um, so many details of his life. When Yeshua came on the scene, he matched every one of those prophecies to a T. Like statistically, it would just be absolutely impossible. And so that is, a, that is a very powerful way to say, yeah, Yeshua is the man. You know, so if you're talking with someone, and if they have a couple of minutes and they're open to it, just show them a couple of those ancient prophecies, and then show them how Yeshua fulfilled them, down to the method by which He was executed, by crucifixion. It's amazing. So those are the three tools that we talked about last week. Uh, today we're going to continue looking at some different tools that we have at our disposal for um, witnessing to Yeshua's cause. The fourth one we're going to talk about is pointing to the miracles, the paranormal phenomena that followed Yeshua. Things that He did that no ordinary human being could do on their own. And uh, we can also do some of those ourselves. Uh, generally, if, if, you're, if you're using like um, Christianese talk, you'll maybe talk about signs and wonders... I've always wondered, what's the difference between an sign and a wonder? People kind of just use that little couplet, I think, without thinking about it. Um, people talk about miracles in our culture. A lot of people do believe in miracles. They believe in, in uh, like supernatural things that transcend uh, natural reason or the laws of, of nature. A lot of people believe in the spiritual realm and that it affects the physical realm. Um, do you, I, would, I, it's kind of, I like using the term the paranormal because even people that are maybe close to like the concept of the supernatural or whatever, uh, thanks to TV and movies, most people believe in the paranormal. They believe that freak incidents happen, that things happen that are from outside the physical world, those kinds of ideas. So you can sometimes use the term paranormal phenomena to also describe some of the things that Yeshua did and that He's called us to do. 
as, a, as we go through this talk, I'm going to kind of give, give you the idea, and then I'll give you some scriptures that will illustrate that or back it up here. So this will be something of a, just a continuation of our study on this theme. Um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 36, Yeshua says this, and I'll read it for you here, The works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify, there's that word testify, about me that the Father has sent me. So did you hear that? The miracles that Yeshua accomplished, the paranormal phenomena that were happening through him publicly before the eyes of everybody on the ancient version of the media, shall we say, those things were testifying of Yeshua that he was sent by his Father, that the creator of the universe was indeed his Father. Uh, Yeshua also said in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. So, again, the same idea. So when Yeshua turned water into grape juice with alcoholic content, when Yeshua raised a guy from the dead that was already like dead for four days and that was stinking, when Yeshua did a healing long distance on the servant of, a, of an important official, all of those works were, they were paranormal phenomena. They were supernatural. And people saw these things and they said, wow, there's something to this guy. This guy claims to be sent by, by God, Elohim. There's probably some pretty good evidence that this guy's claims are correct. Um, I'm going to give you another scripture about this. This one is also from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. At the conclusion of writing this eyewitness account of the things that our beloved rabbi accomplished and taught, he says this, Therefore, many other signs Yeshua also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, Elohim, and that believing you may have life in his name. So did you hear that? Yochanan said, John said, Yeshua did quite many other things, but I wrote these ones down for a reason, so that you would read about them, and that you would come to believe that He is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, Elohim, and that you'll have life because of who He is, life in His name, as a result of that believing in Him. Um, if you actually count the stories in the Gospel of John that um, Yeshua did, that point to Him as Messiah, there are seven of them. I'll just list them for you here. Uh, he turned water to wine. Let's count them on our fingers. Water to wine. He healed an official son long distance, just with a spoken word. He healed a quadriplegic. He fed over 5,000 people on like one happy meal, basically. He walked on water without a boat and water skis. He healed a man born blind and he brought a corpse to life after it was dead for four days. Those are, those are the stories that Yochanan records in his gospel about the Messiah. Um, actually, we, we shared this with, with uh, Tracy last week, but I want to share this with, with you guys too. I uh, printed out a little, I, I, uh, I drew up a little artistic booklet with these seven stories from the Gospel of John in them. A very simple one. And I just had my printer in Saskatoon shoot off a bunch of copies. And I'll read you... I'll read you a little uh, something from a book by Neil Cole. He's, um, he's a disciple maker in California. Um, he's really into the concept of organic church. Uh, I've quoted from him before. I, I really admire Neil Cole's work because he, is, he and his team have been very effective bringing people to faith that most churches aren't reaching. People like hardcore Satanists, um, 
like neo-pagans, vampires, uh, Wiccans, those kinds of people. He's seen a ton of people like that come into the kingdom as a result of his outreach. So I, I, I've read Neil Cole and uh, really questioned, how does he do that stuff? And uh, this is a book called Organic Leadership by Neil Cole. And I'll read you a little section that he says about this. Uh, it's a tool for uh, making disciples. He says, A tool that exemplifies the content of this chapter is what we call the seven signs of John. It's a simple evangelistic tool that had not even been written down until Jason Ma included it in his book, Blueprint. Because it's so simple, oral transmission of the concept has proven quite sufficient. The seven signs of John is based on the words that the Apostle John writes near the end of his Gospel. He said, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I just read you that passage. Apparently, though John was with Jesus from the start and saw all the miracles performed, he selected particular miracles and included them in his book in a specific order for a purpose. To open the eyes of the unbeliever to have faith in the real Christ and gain eternal life. This is not my opinion. This is what the scriptures say. Consider it this way. The Holy Spirit is telling you that the miracle stories in the Gospel of John are the stories that best present the true Christ to an unbelieving heart. It's quite common for American Christian leaders to exaggerate the effectiveness of a method. But in this case, it's the Holy Spirit making the claim, not me. The seven signs can be applied in any size group. You can easily use this tool one-on-one, in a small group, or even in a stadium full of people. The seven signs of John are... And then he lists the ones that I just listed to you. The way it works is that each week, the person or persons you are sharing with are encouraged to read one of the stories once every day. So in the first week, they read the story of Jesus turning water into wine every day. At the end of the week, when you get together and read the passage, you ask four simple questions and have a discussion about the passage. The questions are, what does this story say to you about human nature? What does this story say to you about the person of Jesus? In what ways does this story affect your way of thinking about your own life? With whom should you share this story? Discussing the answers to these questions with anyone who is a spiritual seeker can easily be done once a week over a cup of coffee. Every organic church I've ever started began going weekly through these stories and simply answering the questions. I have yet to go through this process and not have someone commit to following Christ. That's pretty powerful, hey? That's 100% right there. I am not guaranteeing you the same results, but we can take the Holy Spirit's word for it that these stories will help people believe in Jesus. This simple and profound ministry tool crosses all cultural barriers because it's simply the Bible speaking for itself. It easily reproduces because anyone can ask a few questions. This is not a model of church or a human curriculum. It's simply unleashing the power of God's word to do what it does in life. Franz Delich would say, it's the word of God that does it. You, maybe you're familiar with that famous Christian Hebraist who did the Hebrew translation of the uh, Delich Hebrew English Gospels. That's how he would phrase that. The only way you could say that this doesn't work cross-culturally is to say that the Bible doesn't work cross-culturally. Even in an oral culture that is not literate, this tool will still work because it's basic storytelling. Um, I'll read the last paragraph here. This is an example of the sort of resource that is practical, transferable, and truly biblical. There's no workbook or specialized training needed, and it's not dependent on a highly trained person. A Bible is all that's needed. Because it's so simple, it doesn't easily break down when reproduced. It maintains its own integrity throughout many generations and is a catalyst for transformative movements. So there's a little, there's a little um, plug from... Neil Cole, those four questions? 
Actually, I, uh, I, kind of, I kind of simplified them and added one more in my version. I'll read you, I'll read you the ones from my version that I'm going to be using as a tool. I, I included as a first one, who would you be in this story? And hopefully they don't say, I would be Jesus, or um, you better pray, be praying for them. <laughs> who would you be in this story? What does this story tell you about people? What does this story tell you about Yeshua? How does this story affect your life? Sorry, I'm probably reading this too fast, right? And then finally, who are you going to tell this story to this week? So anyway, if you guys want, I I have a couple of these and I I brought them along. I'll I'll let you look at them later if you want. I'm planning, God willing, to start a couple of spiritual discussion groups in the next month or two. I want to start one with some of our neighbors and I want to start one with some of my other friends that I'm making, for instance, from our jiu-jitsu club. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And you know, this is the kind of thing you can do in your home, at a coffee shop, at a pub, in the park, with one person or, or with the group. It's pretty neat. I, I, I personally thought, wow, this is a cool tool. This is something that I could do. And of course, with, uh, with the help of, uh, of Yeshua. So again, the, the, the point there is, Yeshua did some things that were like not possible for human beings on their own to do. They testify of Him. So there's a practical application for you. That may be something you want to do. If you have a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor or something, see if they're willing to read a short story and then get together with you and just talk about it at the end of the week. Really simple thing anybody can do. And if they say no, fine. But my guess is a lot of people would be open to that because it's short. Um, I'll read you um, two more passages about this concept of miracles testifying to who Yeshua is. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, verse 3, it says of um, Paul and uh, who was it on this trip? I think it was um, Barnabas on this trip. These two guys that were like did a, a thousand plus mile trip from the city of Antioch, which was their hub, and they branched out and went northwest through the uh, region of Asia Minor, I believe it was. And um, they were talking about Yeshua first in the synagogue and then everywhere else in the city. And this is what it says in one of these cities. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Master, who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So I'll read that again. Watch for, watch for the element of testifying. Watch for the element of what their message was. And watch for the element of miracles. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly, with reliance upon the Master, who is testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Now this is actually pretty neat. Here are two of these guys that Yeshua sent. They're agents for the Master and they are testifying about His grace. They're saying, like, the the Creator's generosity about what He offers through Yeshua in terms of forgiveness and a new start and a changed heart. All of these things, they were just talking about this in the city and a lot of people were really receptive to it. And it's kind of cool because it says that they were testifying of His grace and what does it say the Master was doing? It says the Master was testifying along with them by granting that they would do miracles. That's pretty cool. It's like when you step out and you start talking about Yeshua and who He is, He's going to step in and He's going to back what you're saying, maybe with some paranormal phenomena, like healings. I'll give you one more passage that has that same idea in it. In um, the Epistle to the Hebrews, which is basically a, a letter to the early Messianic Jews, Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. And listen for those elements again. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
After what it was at first spoken through the Master, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Elohim God also testifying with them. Did you notice who's testifying? With them? Both with signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So there it is again. It started with the Master. He, he transmitted that word to His disciples. They began communicating it to the people in their worlds. And it says that God, Elohim, testified along with them by working miracles through them. Wow. Here's something that really encouraged me also. Um, Yeshua's uh, emissary, Shaul, his apostle Paul, said in his first letter to an early community of disciples in the city of Corinth. Which was, Corinth was like the party city of the ancient world. Like, it was just famous for debauchery, orgies, totally wild living, right? And there was a community of disciples that started there. And uh, Paul wrote them a letter. And this is something that he said to them about those early days when he first came to them. In uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So did you hear that? The testimony of God. He said, guys, when I came to you, like, I wasn't using a bunch of fancy talk. I wasn't resorting to like, all kinds of complex wisdom and philosophical constructs. He goes on to say, I, I just came to you really humbly. I came to you really broken. And God backed me with His power. And so when you came to believe, you didn't come to believe in me and my smart ideas and my fancy talk. You just came to believe in Yeshua because you saw God backing the message with His power. That testimony. So I find that really encouraging. We don't, have to, we don't have to be great talkers. We don't have to like, use all kinds of fancy words. We can just talk in our own language. We can talk really simple and heal back it with His power. That's His promise. So how, what could we draw? Let's draw a picture to, just to illustrate that first concept of um, paranormal phenomena being one of the tools in our toolbox as we uh, share the good news about Yeshua in this world. What could, what could we draw for that? Acts of power? Okay, you could draw someone... Um, now, it's pretty hard to draw a strong stick man, but we'll see what we can do, okay? I'll draw some muscles there. <laughs> no, and um, you know what? Maybe the other thing we'll draw is someone praying for someone else to be healed. Because that is one of the... Uh, that's one of the primary miracles that that happened in the early Yeshua movement and that continue to happen today. Yeshua said, these are one of the signs that will follow those who believe in me. They'll lay hands on the sick and pray for them and they'll be healed. This is such a pathetic drawing. I'm actually going to erase him, guys. I'm sorry. No, it's, I think it's just the worst I've ever done. Okay, so let's draw um, a sick person. Hmm, a sick person. We'll just uh, draw someone who's like all um, stooped over. And they're, they're afflicted. There's some little tears falling to the ground. And here is a loving disciple of Yeshua reaching out to show this person love, tell them that there is a healer who loves them and, who will pr who, uh, and, and praying for them. There, that's what we'll draw for that one. What do you think, Tirza? Does that work? That's good. Okay, cool. So let's look at the next tool in our lineup. Um, this is an insight that we'll get from the Hebrew language. Do you guys remember what the Hebrew word for a witness is? 
What is it? Aid. That is right. It's spelled in Hebrew with the letters Ein and Dalet. Now, in Hebrew, kind of like French or Spanish, you have gender. So all words are either masculine or feminine. Aid is a masculine word. If you want to make a masculine word in Hebrew feminine, you add, add ah on the end. Everybody say, ah. Right. Okay. Um, you'll probably notice most of the Hebrew girl names in the scriptures end with ah. Give me some examples just for kicks. Sarah. Bilha. Martha. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Ida, Hannah, can you hear? They're all, they almost all end in ah, right? So you get the idea there. Okay, here's the interesting thing. A male witness in Hebrew is an aid. So what would a female witness in Hebrew be? A da. That's correct. That's spelled ayin dalet hey. And did you know that that word also means something else in Hebrew? That is the Hebrew word for a community. So where it talks about the whole community of the people of Israel, in Hebrew it says the whole Eidah of the people of Israel. That's the exact same word for a female witness. It kind of has the idea of a bride who's talking about her bridegroom. Of a woman who's in love and she can't help but talk really highly about the man, uh, about her beloved. That's the idea. So whenever it talks about a community in Hebrew, it's the same word for witness. So whenever we refer to ourselves as a community, in Hebrew we're saying, we are a witness. Everybody say, Eidah. Yeah, we're an Eidah, we're a community. We're an Eidah, we're a witness. Now this is a very powerful spiritual principle. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15, we read this, On the evidence of two or three witnesses, Eidim, a matter shall be confirmed. So did you hear that? If you have just one person as an eyewitness saying, well, I saw this, well, I heard that, that doesn't actually carry any weight in a legal scenario. However, in the ancient Israeli court system, if you had two or three witnesses, that carried a lot of weight. What does that mean for us as witnesses of Yeshua? If it's just you as an individual out there being like, you know, I have a story, this is what Yeshua did for me, or yeah, he's the Mashiach, this is what the ancient eyewitness gospels say, yeah, that, that's powerful, all right, but it, gets, it goes exponentially more powerful when we function as a community. So let's say if you had like some kind of power levels, maybe you as a witness would have a power level of one. But when you are part of a community that carries the same witness, that bears the same message, your power level all of a sudden goes exponential to like times ten. That kind of idea, eh? So, here are a couple of practical applications of, of this insight, because we want to make this practical. Um, if, you, if we live in the Western world, then we are naturally very individualistic. We tend to think in terms of my individual goals, about my dreams for my life. Um, you know, our, our, our vocabulary will often center around me, myself, and I, right? And um, there's a place for that, because the Father loves each of us as individuals. However, I think sometimes we go too far in the Western world. We forget about the value of community, and sometimes we end up not using words like us and we so much, right? So, you know, if we're disciples of Yeshua and we're living in the Western world, we'll probably be on in this process of learning to think more communally. Learning to think not so much in terms of me and I, learning to think in terms of us and we. And it kind of makes sense because that's one of the greatest commandments, loving each other, you know? You have to kind of think in terms of us and we for that to happen. Um, I read a study about 
members of different religions and denominations and how long they stay affiliated with their church or synagogue or whatever. And, and uh, how, many, how many months or years on average it takes before they jump to another community. Uh, the longest, the most, the most committed and loyal people to their communities are Jews and Catholics. Generally, if you're Jewish or Catholic, you stay with your synagogue or church until you move or you die. The, on the other end of the spectrum, the people who are most prone to church hopping, you go check out this church and then eventually someone ticks you off or does something you don't like or you just don't feel like your personal needs as a consumer are being met. I'm not being fed. So you jump to the next church. Guess who's, who who's like, has a chronic case of that in the religious world? Evangelicals and charismatics. Charismatics are the worst. So if you come from a charismatic background, statistically you will go to a church and within six months you'll be gone because you're selfish because you've been trained to believe that it's all about me and my needs and me being fed and because it's like it's like a disease and it's a disgusting disease quite frankly because selfishness is disgusting and I can say that about myself because I'm a selfish person <laughs> and Yeshua is teaching me like about how he wants to teach me about being a giver instead of a taker uh, being like there for other people instead of a consumer, all those kinds of things, right? So I, I just want to offer that to you as a warning. If you come from an evangelical or a charismatic background, you have a disease that you're not even aware of. It's, uh, maybe you could call it church hopperitis, or you could just call it unfaithfulness. You could call it like a lack of commitment. And it's just something to be aware of, right? Um, so just on a practical level, be aware of that. And uh, learn to really lock in with your community. Ask Yeshua, where do you want me to be? And then if he says, I want you to be with these people, then lock in with those people. Commit to be with them for the long haul, to love and to serve and to give. If there are problems, to work through the problems instead of just running away. If things aren't the way you want, to be a positive catalyst for change, an initiator, instead of just sitting at a distance with your arms folded, pointing fingers because no one else is doing it. That kind of thing, right? So I'll give that to you as a practical, a practical way that we can, as communities, can become more powerful witnesses for Yeshua. Uh, number two, another practical application of this insight that we as an Ada are both a community and a witness, is uh, just to really value unity. You know, uh, we all have our priorities. We have things that we value most of all. I would suggest to you that valuing like community and valuing togetherness is very important. Maybe it's even more important than arguments we could have or nitpicking that we could get involved in or majoring on minor issues. You know, it's very important for us as individuals and as a community to say, what are the major issues that we want to major on? What are the minor issues that we'll discuss but that we would never split over, right? That's pretty important. Um, Yeshua said in John chapter 17, verse 21, he was praying to his father, and he said, Father, I pray that they would all be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you hear that? The connection between unity as a community and the world believing that Yeshua was sent. I don't know. There's just something about that. Did you notice that? When there's a church split, when there are like big gang feuds in, in, in the body of Christ in a city, it just gives Yeshua a really bad rap. It does. People are like, man, well, that church split. They just can't get along. What does that say about their Savior? But when we like love each other and we stay together and we work through difficulties, that sends a really powerful message to the world that Yeshua is actually around and He's actually changing us. And it doesn't mean we're better than other people, but what it does say is He's better than anybody and He's helping us and He's changing us. Um, give you a... Two more little practical applications of this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, um, Don't give up getting together, 
as some are in the habit of doing. Keep encouraging each other. It's really simple, right? So just like if you have an option between something else and gathering with your community, choose to gather with your community. Um, make that a real priority. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, I do not want to get out of bed, just kick yourself in the butt and get out of bed anyway. Or maybe if, maybe if you have a spouse, get your spouse to kick you in the butt and to kick you out of bed. I need that some mornings. I really do, right? But that would be, that would be some really practical examples of that. Because, you know, it says very clearly in the scriptures, you're going to have a tendency towards slacking off, getting cold in your love, giving up on getting together. Careful about that. Make sure you get together so you can encourage each other. So did you notice that? It didn't say, make sure you get together so you can be encouraged. It said, make sure you keep getting together so you can encourage other people. So if we come to a community gathering with the intent of encouraging somebody else, having a conversation where you can just say, I love you, I care about you, and maybe give a little encouraging word, man, that's a winning, that's a winning approach. Communities like that are powerful witnesses of Yeshua. And then finally, we're going to be gathering in the park soon. I would like for some of us to be able to share like snapshots of our stories every week, having one of us just share a short story for anybody who's there in the park to be able to hear and be like, yeah, wow, Yeshua's made a difference in that person's life. It's one more example about how, how we as a community in a very practical way, can testify to who Yeshua is and what He does. Um, what, could we, uh, what could we draw to uh, picture that tool that we have to, as, uh, as witnesses to Yeshua's cause um, for picturing community? Maybe like a circle of people holding hands or something. Would that be cool? Okay, cool. Let's, let's try and draw that. And if anybody here is artistic and they want to draw instead of me, I would be very open to that, just so you know. Okay. Give that guy a beard and a keeper. There you go. Um, Tierza, do you like it when we draw pictures? Okay, there. There's a, there's a picture of community. Here, let's draw this guy with the tallit. This guy can be, uh, can be Ben. Give him a little beard and some hair and a nice tallit with some tzitzit on it. There we go. Oops. Cool. Okay. The, uh, the sixth tool in our tools that we're looking at here um, that we can use as uh, witnesses of Yeshua's cause. This is an interesting one. When the Creator created the universe... In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it says that he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And then it says there were four things he created them for. He created them for days. He created them for years. He created them for signs, which is a very interesting one. And he created them for, well, the Hebrew word is moedim. And it means appointed times. So when God says to his people, celebrate Passover on the 14th day of the first month of the year... That is a moed. That is like an appointed time. So this is very interesting. Like, all the way back at the beginning of creation, and then, you know, when Yahweh rescued Israel from Egypt, uh, when Yeshua came on the scene, the, the, the covenant people of God have, have been in touch with this. That, like, you know, um, there's this calendar that's based on the cycles of the moon, and that's how you know when to do Passover. That's when you know how to do all of these appointed times, right? And... Um, Scripturally, actually, it says that when you, when you kind of keep tabs on that calendar, 
And when you celebrate some of the appointed times that the God of Israel said for the people of Israel to do, it's a powerful testimony of who Yeshua is. It's a, it's a very effective way of witnessing to the gospel. I'll read you a couple of passages and then I'll tell you a couple of little stories from our own life. In uh, Psalm chapter 89, verse 37, it says this, It shall be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky, Selah. Did you hear that? It says the moon is a faithful witness in the sky. It's kind of an interesting concept. It also says in Psalm 81, verses 3 to 5, Blow the trumpet at the new moon. That's like the start of the biblical month, right? At the full moon on our feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went through the land of Egypt. So did you hear that? There's something about the lunar cycles that testifies of who the Creator is. There's something about the biblical festivals. There's something about blowing the shofar, blowing the trumpet on the biblical festivals that points to the Creator, that testifies of who He is. I'll give you a couple examples of this. Um, Genevieve and I and our community, we celebrate the festival of booths every fall. So we, we build basically a big fort in our backyard and we camp out in the thing for a week, right? And it's something that Yahweh said to the people of Israel to do, to remember the exodus from Egypt and how he sheltered them, how he took care of them, that kind of thing. Something that Yeshua and his disciples did, something that we still do today. Um, when you build a big fort in your backyard and you live in like a block of townhouses like we do, it gets a lot of attention because kids love forts and deep down inside I think Adults really love forts too, because forts are really cool. I love forts. So anyway, guess what? All our neighbors were like, what are you guys doing, right? We built this big like fort out of two by fours and tarps. We're hanging out in the thing and having supper. We're singing songs and, and just having a blast every night, right? And you know what? It gave, it gave us some really cool opportunities to talk with our neighbors about how there's a creator and some stuff that he did in history. And uh, you know what? It really showed our neighbors, too, that as followers of Yeshua, we get to do some pretty fun stuff. Really. I mean, what kid doesn't, wouldn't love to, like, build a fort with his dad and camp out on the thing for a week? That's awesome. So that would be a little example. Another would be Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread like we just had, right? Like, all of these things God gave them to His people is like visible testimonials of who Yeshua is. They're like little things that can start awesome conversations. So, you know, when we had our Passover meal or when we ate unleavened bread for a week, Genevieve had the, some of the neighborhood girls over and they baked some matzah, some unleavened bread together. And it just gives you opportunities to talk about the Savior. Right? So those would be a couple examples of how when you track with the lunar calendar, when you celebrate the biblical festivals that God gave His people in passages like Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, it's, just a, it's a really cool way of uh, giving people a little glimpse, something about Yeshua, maybe raising some questions in their mind, giving you opportunities to uh, be a witness to Him. What could, um, those passages in the Psalms were Psalm 89, verse 37, and Psalm 81, verses 3 to 5. Yeah. Another example of that. Remember when we celebrated Hanukkah this last year? We had pretty good media coverage. I mean, the PA Now and uh, the Herald both came out for that. They gave us coverage. And again, it's just a cool way to get a little plug for Yeshua into the media, to get it out there for other people, right? Raises some eyebrows. So what, what could we draw to, uh, to picture that one? <laughs> 
How about some of those? How, let's draw. Let's draw the moon because that's the that's like uh, the what the lunar calendar runs off of. Let's draw a piece of matzah. And we'll draw, let's draw a sukkah also, a booth. Yeah. Yeah, that's tears up. And our sukkah tears up. Yeah, so those would be some... uh... Okay, and then seventhly, lastly... um, Here's one more interesting tool that we have as a community that is witnessing to who Yeshua is. In the last reading of the Torah, the five books of Moses, we have a testimony, it's explicitly called a testimony, that was written in the form of a long song that Moses taught to the nation of Israel so they'd never forget it. I'll, I'll read you the passage. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 19 to 21, Moses says, uh, okay, wait a minute, no. Yahweh says to Moses, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness, everybody say witness, for me. Did you notice that? So God gives Moses this big song and he says, this is going to be a witness for me. It shall come about when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify before them as a witness. For it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. Did you ever notice that about songs? You don't forget songs. It's really hard to forget a song. And actually there's a reason for that. It's how your brain is, uh, is constructed. You're all aware, I'm sure, that we have left and right hemispheres in our brains. Uh, one side of our brain, or the right side of your brain, will deal with um, slightly more abstract things. We'll communicate through visually, through pictures, through poetry, through those kinds of things. The left side of your brain functions... Um, more through like prose, through narratives, through facts, statistics, those kinds of things, right? And those, those um, hemispheres of your brain generally don't like function together so much. You're usually in one or the other side of your brain. However, when you hear a song, it engages both sides of your brain. Kind of like maybe like a clutch engages the, um, the engine and the power behind the engine with the wheels and makes the vehicle run. When you hear a song, it engages your the left side of your brain because there are lyrics, there's intelligent content and it engages the right, si- the right side of your brain because there's music, right? And that's why often you'll get a jingle stuck in your head and you just can't get it out of your head or you'll get like some... Did you ever notice there are some songs that just kind of have this like glint of immortality to people? It seems like whatever you listen to you're in your late teens is the stuff that you'll forever love and you'll forever listen to and be like, those are the golden, those are the golden songs, that's the radio channel that you'll always turn to. And of course everything that comes after that will just be garbage, right? But like that's, that's the way it is for people. Why? Because songs are unforgettable. Because songs engage both hemispheres of our brain. So on a technical level, that's why it is. And it's kind of cool that all the way back in the Torah, like 3,500 years ago, the Creator and Moses were already utilizing this technique to communicate stuff to the nation of Israel so they'd never forget it. They were using it as a testimony. So um, I'll just give you a couple like practical applications of this idea that a song can be a very powerful testimony. It can function as a tool to witness about the Creator. Um, are any of you here songwriters? How many of you here have ever written a song? Even one song? Even a little ditty or something? I'm kind of curious. Okay. 
I write, I write songs sometimes, but I don't know if I'd view myself as a songwriter. But if you're a songwriter, just um, be open to Yeshua giving you songs, maybe even really short songs that talk about something he did for you. You know, you can write epics, you can write ballads, you can write narrative songs, you can write haiku songs. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard a haiku song, but I love haiku. I'm really into haiku right now. And I just think that would be awesome, you know? It's like five, seven, five syllables in a song. I'm not going to forget that. So, you know, if you're a songwriter, that's something that you can do to uh, testify of who Yeshua is. Um, if you're not a songwriter, how many of us would say, yeah, I'm not really a songwriter. I've never really written a song. Okay. If you're not a songwriter, this is what I would give you for a, uh, an assignment, a practical application. Pray that God will save the songwriters out there to write music and sing songs for Him. Did you notice that? It's like... Songwriters and bands are the prophets of our, of our culture. So pray for those people that God will save them and that they'll be able to write songs for Him, do, their, do music for Him. And you know what? I believe that there are people in our community and in the body of Messiah who are gifted as songwriters or maybe who have some latent abilities to uh, function in that capacity. And for whatever reasons, it's all plugged up inside of them. They just got clogged up somewhere along the way. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they used to be a songwriter before they came to Yeshua and they just never found a venue for it when they became a believer. Whatever the case may be, let's also be praying as a community that the Father will like renew those people's gifting, that He will release those people to, to write, write tunes for Him. That's something that we can... Uh, actually, I, I, can we pray for that right now? Because I think if we don't... Okay, cool. Yeah, wow. Father, we don't want to just talk about this. Um, I, I, I have a weakness to say, yeah, I'll pray about that, and I never do. Uh, Father, we praise the community right now for the people in our community and for those in the body of Messiah in our area who have been called as songwriters or who are gifted in that area. We pray that you would um, stir up that gifting within them. We pray that you would make it, like a, make it like a fire burning in them. We pray that you would fill them with inspiration, that you would um, give them songs and music about you, songs that talk about who you are and testify to you. And, and Father, I, I pray that you'd give us a lot of really, really catchy, cool songs about you too. I pray that you do that, please, Father. And I, I thank you for it. And Father, we, we pray for the songwriters and musicians out there who aren't following Yeshua. We pray that you would bring them to yourself. We pray that you would save them. We pray that they would come to follow Yeshua and write songs that testify of you. Like the kinds of songs that we can't get out of our heads, but that we don't really want to get out of our heads either. And uh, yeah, thank you for that, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen. And uh, one more thing you can do is, um, whether you're a songwriter or not, find songs that tell something from your story. Because, you know, all of us have a story. We have things where, that we can really relate to. Find songs that, that you can be like, yeah, this song totally tells something about my story. I can really relate to this song. Music videos are even better. Very powerful. And then just have those on hand, maybe to share with friends or whatever. Be like, can I play the song for you? And then be like, you know, this really means something to me because of something that happened in my life. People, you know, in whatever you, if you want to call it, whether it's um, a, uh, like a Christian song or a secular song, whatever, See if you can use that as a tool to uh, talk about Yeshua. Um, frankly, I, I really love like hip-hop and rap. Um, I, there's some Christian guys who do hip-hop and rap, and they're like some of the most powerful preachers I've ever heard. I don't know, have you ever heard like hip-hop where they really cut loose and preach? Man, I love it. Especially with those new 15-inch speakers that we got for our park gatherings. But um, anyway, like, you know, for me, that's something that I found very powerful. So let's see here. 
I'll uh, finish this talk by giving you a couple quick tips about where we can be as true as witnesses and why we can be as witnesses. And that's going to wrap most of these talks. I think I'll tell you a story about a guy in the early Yeshua movement maybe next week who, um, who died for his faith, who laid down his life. It's not in the New Testament. It's something that happened shortly thereafter. Um, Yeshua said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we covered this. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and going to the ends of the earth. So in other words, it starts in my neighborhood, it starts with the people who live next door to me, my co-workers, those kinds of people. And you know what, there might come a day, if I'm faithful with that, that he'll send me to the, some pygmy tribe in Africa, or some unreached people group in the 1040 window, maybe an Islamic nation or something, right? But it's, really, it's, too, it's very tempting for us to like pray for those people around the world that need the gospel, and kind of forget about our neighbors, hey? So remember your neighbors, pray for your neighbors in your neighborhood. Um, I want to have a very strong local vision as a community, and I want to have a very strong global vision also. Let's be strong in both of those things. Um, it actually starts even closer than your neighbors. In uh, Psalm 78, verses 5 to 7, I'll read this to you. This talks about where it starts, us as witnesses. He established a testimony in Jacob. Did you hear the testimony theme there? And appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Why? That they should put their confidence in Elohim, God, and not forget his works, but keep his commandments. So did you hear that? For me as a father... My first job as a witness of Yeshua is making sure that I spend time with my little girl, telling her what Yeshua has done for me, sharing my story with her, reading the Gospels where I read about the, the phenomenal miracles that Yeshua accomplished. Why? So she can grow up and be confident in the God of Israel, the creator of the universe, and so that she can in turn transmit that same confidence to her children so that we can be a family that follows Yeshua and keeps God's commandments. That's what this passage from Psalm 78 verses 5 to 7 says. So, you know, again, it's, it's so easy for people to get sucked into like thinking about the people at the end of the street or thinking about the nation across the world and we forget about our own children. Let's make sure we prioritize our children, our grandchildren, um, those, those people that live in our own home. It's very tempting too in our, because in the Western world, we have a tendency to outsource responsibility. We as parents, you know, God has called us to, to be that influence in our children's lives, to spend that quality time with them, to teach them. And it's really tempting to kind of cop out, to be like, I couldn't do that. I'm not smart enough, or I don't have those capabilities. So while I will outsource my children's education to government-funded school systems, and I will outsource my children's spiritual education to, um, to my church, to Sunday school. And of course, there's a place for the school system. There's a place for things like Sunday school. But sometimes we as parents use those things as a cop-out, and we just expect the government and the church to train our children and teach them. And I think it's very sad because we're missing out on one of the greatest joys of life and also one of our highest responsibilities. So that's something to, uh, to remember. And uh, just finally... The big question of why, why be Yeshua's witness? Why testify to who he is and what he's done historically and in our lives? I, I think the biggest reason is just because that's who we are. We can't help ourselves. You know, this isn't a motivational talk. This is just like, this is who you are. Because remember our first talk, how we talked about the Father is a witness. He, he, he's always testifying about Yeshua. And the Yeshua is a witness. He, was, he said, I was born to testify to the truth. 
He was like, I was born to do that. And the Holy Spirit testifies of Yeshua. And you were created in the image of your Father. Yeshua is alive inside of you. The Holy Spirit, He's in you. And so like, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, that's just who we are. We can't help ourselves, right? Sometimes it's more like just getting those tools and learning some basic ways that we can, uh, we can go for it. We're in love with Yeshua, so we can't stop talking about Him. And um, in the final book of Scripture, it says about our testimony of Yeshua that that's what's going to win the game in the end. In the book of the Revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, that Yeshua's beloved disciple John, Yochanan, wrote from the island of Patmos, which was the ancient equivalent of Alcatraz, he wrote this, They, referring to Yeshua's people, overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their life, even when faced with death. So he's like, you know what? In, in the end of days, Yeshua's people are going to love him more than they love their own lives. And they're going to talk about him and they're going to have a testimony about him. And because he shed his blood for them to redeem them, because of these factors, they're going to win the game. That's what's going to win the game in the end. And that, that's you, that's me, that's us as uh, Yeshua's people in, in this generation. What could we uh, draw just to uh, picture that, that final concept of, um, uh, of songs? I forgot to draw a picture of that. How about a note? Oh man, okay. Let's see if I can draw notes like I used to when I could when I did theory with piano. How's that? And uh, we'll draw a big ear here. Oh. Okay, there we go. Great. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.